So if you open up your Bibles or find your phones on your apps, we're to move to James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. So it's right after Hebrews, if you guys remember that sermon series a while ago. So the book right after Hebrews, a little bit before Revelation. So James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months... It did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So I've titled this Kingdom Prayer. You guys will notice a whole lot of words, a whole lot of references to prayer in this six verses. So what I'm going to start off with, Ikea. So if you guys have ever built anything, any type of furniture, any type of chair, the chairs that you guys are sitting on, uh, anything from targets, anything where there are all these instructions and then all these different tools and then all these different parts of it, and you're like, all right, I have to make this thing. So I'm trying to make a chair. And as you're making this chair, you have all these instructions, you have all these tools, you have all these different parts. And you're trying to figure out how do these fit together. And there's one thing, if you guys do this, it'll help you figure out what you guys are building towards. And it's that picture. That picture where you guys are building that thing, and it has the picture of the chair that you guys are building towards. So if you guys look at the chair that you're on right now, it's all about building pieces. And it's that picture at the end. This is what I'm building towards. All of these tools that I have are so that, that this picture that I have, I can get there and I see this. I know that this is gonna be the end of what I'm working towards. So not, there was no Ikea back in James's time. What I do think he's doing for us is he's giving us kind of a theology of prayer. He's saying, here's all of these elements of prayer. And he gives us Elijah at the end, saying this is what prayer does. Prayer actually connects that kingdom to come that we're all looking for as Christians. Right now, it's our kind of connection to that kingdom to come. And we get that because Christ is the one who purchased that kingdom for us. He's the one who always intercedes for us. As we see in Romans and as we see elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, we see this. Christ is the one who's continually bringing us in front of the Father, praying for us right now, praying for us Christians right now. So I kind of want to keep that image of that box that you guys have from Target, from Ikea, wherever it may be, of that picture 
of the thing that you're making, the chair that you're making, the table that you're making. You know it's coming. You know that's the end. And all the instructions get us there. So James start with James 5, verse 13. So I've labeled this the body praise. And so I see, I think James is showing us three different types of groups in this church. It's kind of the, the group of churches that he's writing towards, kind of the, the general audience that he's writing towards. So he's saying, is anyone among you suffering? And I think with this term, what he's, as he's showing us is he's connecting this with verse 7. And verse 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So saying, there's some among you who are suffering, whether it be your boss is because of your Christian faith, because there are things that you're not willing to do, that your boss is asking you to do these things that are against your faith, and whether it be a reduction in your salary, whether it be less hours at work, whether it be you're ostracized, people are making fun of you, saying this is something that you can't do, I think he's kind of speaking to this here. So it's a suffering, not just kind of like a physical suffering, it's a suffering from something coming from the outside into you. And he's saying, not just pray and hope that goes away, although that might happen, he's saying pray that the Lord might come. I think that's why he's using this in kind of the same way as verse 7. Not so that all of your sufferings might go away. Again, that might come, but it's for us in the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's not just pray the devil away. It's not just pray my sicknesses away. It's pray that the Lord comes and his kingdom is the thing that brings my sickness away. It brings these prosecutors away. It brings people against this church away. I think that's what he's speaking about with this. Then the next one. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. I love that he says, let him sing praise. He doesn't say, don't be cheerful. He doesn't say, if there is some among you who are not feeling cheerful, then you shouldn't feel, you shouldn't feel cheerful because you want to feel with them. I think he's saying here too, and there's other ways this is used. This word is used a lot in the Psalms. So it's literally sing with the church. There are those around you who are suffering. There are those around you who aren't doing well. You doing well, singing praise with others, that's what helps those within the congregation. So it's us. If you are feeling well, it's continue singing praise, knowing the one that this comes from. And then those around you can see your praise. See, this is where he gets his joy. This is where he gets his joy in the Lord. And the last one he talks about is, is anyone among you sick? And this sick is like a deep-seated, near-death sickness. I think this is also appropriate for right now. There's a lot of sickness right now. With COVID, with fear, with nervousness, there's a lot of sickness with this room. Some of us might be sick. We know some people who are sick. And again, what I like too, and this was referred to kind of this morning, was this practice right here, let him call for the elders of the church 
and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This is actually like a first century way of helping diseases. So you think of essential oils right now. So I think of like doTERRA, I think of other things, which I used to think was witch potion. Like, why would you want to use this on my body? I have no idea what this is being used for. Think of doTERRA right now as what they would have used in the first century. So he's literally saying to his elders, call those who are sick, call those elders, here, use this real way of healing your body. And at the same time, if you guys see, right after that, and let them pray over him, anointing with him with oil, so that first century of actually healing what they thought healing those physical diseases, healing their actual physical body. And then he adds, in the name of the Lord. So saying, while healing them, praying over them, using this real way of healing them, also pointing them to the healing that's to come. So in a physical healing sense, they're also saying, in the name of the Lord, so that full healing that comes later on, they can also experience as their body itself is healing. So it's not just a spiritual healing and they forget about the body. It's not just a physical healing and they forget about the spiritual. He's saying both. Take care of those in the church. It's for us. Take care of those in this church. For those who are being taken care of, it's those in the church, that is their ministry. The elders, the deacons, those part of the church where the tithing goes towards literally take care of the physical and the spiritual needs of the church, not just one or the other. So that's one kind of way he uses this like actual physical church corporate body praying. Praying is not just for the spiritual. It's also literally we use this very natural thing to heal them as you're praying for them for that ultimate healing, that kingdom healing to come. And then he moves on to verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And this is what I've labeled the repentant confesses. And so I also saw kind of an illusion when Paul in Romans 10 talks about confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. I think he's literally saying, I mean, continue confessing your sins through prayer, confessing your sins. And it's not that these sins are not known to the Lord. He's like, oh, this is a brand new sin. I have to forgive this one now. Uh, thanks for bringing this up to me. Let me talk to my counsel and I'll, I'll get back to you saying, all right, this is, this is, this is good. You're, you're good. He's saying, you are confessing because you're repentant. Not because you have found this new thing that the Lord has not allowed or not forgiven of you. And he's connecting this with verse 14. So the same thing. It's that physical, it's that spiritual prayer. It's that prayer for the repentance of sin. So he's telling us too, continue for us believers, continue repenting for your sins. And again, it's not these sins that are unknown. It's these sins that are already known. It's 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 allowing yourself to be in that frame of mind saying, I'm still in this world. The Lord is my Lord. I'm calling him to forgive these sins that I know are 
forgiven, but it's helpful for me to know that they are forgiven. And this also kind of undergirds, it provides that foundation for verse 16. It's reminding us of our forgiveness. It's not letting us know of new sins. And this forgiveness happens to us. It's kind of it's like a passive thing. This forgiveness is something given to us. We're not trying to bring on ourselves. Our repentance is not like one for one. It's that forgiveness comes to us. And the repentance is our giving. And then he moves on to verse 60. So it's keeping in mind those first three verses, that kind of corporate aspects, that body aspect, that church aspect. He's talking about these three groups. These three groups are in the church. They're all mingling with each other, just like we are mingling with each other right now. And I think there's also a call for those of us who don't yet believe. It is confessing those sins. He is saying that there is sin's presence, and the repentant recognize this. The repentant recognize these sins that must be forgiven. And then I love this next verse in James 5.16. So he says, therefore... Whenever somebody in the Bible says, therefore, we want to look what's said before it, because that gives us kind of the, the reason for why that next part exists. And so I've labeled this, the righteous intercedes. And kind of as I was reading through this, and I think it's helpful for us right now, we want to think of John 17, the high priestly prayer that I kind of alluded to in the beginning, where Jesus Right now, and Hebrews talks about this as well, Jesus right now is next to the Father praying for you. Jesus is right now praying for you, and he's praying for me. And that prayer is not a hopeful prayer that you will stay. That prayer is an absolute confidence. These people, you, are mine. You are the Lord's. He's praying for you right now at the right hand of the Father. And it's keeping you. That prayer is keeping you. Jesus' obedience was accepted. And that's keeping you right now. Right next to the Father. So verse 6 is, Therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so there's a lot of kind of like conjecture. People don't know what to do with the righteous person. I think there's two ways you can look at this, this righteous person. Because some of you might be thinking right now, as I was thinking, oh, there's this person I know right now who's super godly, and if they pray for me, like, I'm good. They've covered me. That they're so close to the Lord, they read so much scripture every day, they pray so much, as long as I can ask him or her to pray for me, I'm good. I think he's referring kind of to Elijah after this, and this is also used in another verse, I think of Jesus. So it says the righteous person, when he prays for you, has great power as it is working. And that's why I saw, and I think it's helpful to see a connection to the high priestly prayer. Jesus at the right hand of the Father, that righteous person who's given us his righteousness. He's right now in the kingdom praying for us. And that's what gives us that power. That's what gives us that confidence. That's what allows our sins to be forgiven as believers. As we confess our sins to one another, 
because we have one, because we have Jesus right now at the right hand of the Father, that's what allows our sins to be forgiven. Because we're in that kingdom right now with him. So the righteous, like I said, this also points towards, so that righteous one, I think also points towards verses 17 and 18. You guys probably heard of Elijah a lot. Elijah is one of two people in the Old Testament that was taken straight up to heaven. And so I think there's like this, there's what we call like a typical, which means this is what it meant then, and it's also pointing towards something in the future. I think 17 and 18 are showing us kind of both the, the effects our prayers have and what they point us towards and what they connect us to. And that connecting is to that kingdom. So prayer is not just, although it is, asking for things. It is to know our Heavenly Father. But I think we'll see in verses 17 and 18, I think it's literally, prayer brings the kingdom near. So like it says in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think there's a reason why James uses prayer so much, and then he uses Elijah. And we'll see it. So this is where the kingdom comes. That last point. So it says, Elijah was a man with a, like nat- with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. And the earth bore fruit. So what James is doing, he's taking, this, this comes from 1 Kings 18. If you read 1 Kings 18, it doesn't actually say prayer. What I think James is doing is he's actually giving us the meaning. He's saying he bowed down, but he's given us the meaning. James, the inspired author, has given us the meaning of Elijah's prayer. He's saying what Elijah was doing in 1 Kings 18 was praying. What's also really interesting, if you guys want to read 1 Kings 18 later, he prays seven times. What are other times that we see the number seven? We see it in creation. What was created on the seventh day? Or sanctified on the seventh day? Rest. Sabbath. We see with Joshua at Jericho. How many times did he walk around? Seven times. We see Elijah... If you look at 1 Kings 18, he prays seven times. So I think James is connecting us to this. And he also says right here, he was a man with a nature like ours. Saying this Elijah in the Old Testament, you are the same. You're connected with the kingdom in the same way Elijah was. In New Testament we know people mistook Jesus for Elijah. Who else was on the Mount of Transfiguration that that time with Moses and Jesus? Elijah. So I think he's connecting a lot of things right here for us. That kingdom to come came through Elijah's prayers. That seven times reference. Whenever seven is used by the Bible, it's good to look at what does that seven mean. He's bringing the kingdom nearer. I said the same thing happens with our prayers. Our prayers are used by the Lord to bring His kingdom near. They're not forcing Him near. He 
uses our prayers. He uses the prayers of those who believe. When it says it did not rain, that was famine. Famine was generally considered, that's a curse. This time in 1 Kings, just about everybody was a farmer. Everybody was in agricultural in some way. So if there was no rain for some amount of time, there was no food. That was famine. It's different for us today because we have grocery stores, we have things, so rain doesn't mean as much, it just means California drivers drive worse. That's about, the, that's about the extent of it. And Elijah's time was very, very different. And when he called down rain, it was blessing. That meant food was there. So that very natural process of no rain and rain was used by the Lord to curse and to bless. And what does it come from? It comes from Elijah's word. Like we saw this morning too. Who else by his word creates? Jesus, through the Lord, in the creation account, we see that in, first, in John 1, God created all things through his Son. His Son was there, through the Spirit, things came to be. So Elijah has experienced the same thing, he's connecting us with Elijah. We today, our prayers are like Elijah's prayers. Because we're connected with that kingdom, because we as believers are connected with that kingdom, this brings the kingdom near. Our prayers bring the ki- our prayers bring the kingdom near. And that's a blessing for us believers. That kingdom for us, when it comes, means we have that rest. And Elijah in the Old Testament is showing us a piece, kind of a little glimpse of that rest. And as believers, we have that rest eternally through our prayers once the kingdom comes. And for those of us who don't yet believe, like I've talked about, that rest for believers is judgment on those when that kingdom does come. It is blessing for believers and it is judgment on those who don't yet believe. So it's confessing your sins, repenting, that connects you with that kingdom, that connects you with that kingdom to come that Jesus has put you in right now. I think that's James' entire thing. So he builds this argument, he builds this, um, this from the church outwards. That kingdom is coming. Your prayers are used to bring this kingdom nearer. And that is your rest. Like Elijah experienced, we will experience this same thing forever. Our prayers bring that kingdom near. So to close, it's, are you in this kingdom? Your prayers are used towards this kingdom. It's repenting. It's confessing. It's, even if you are suffering, it's not downplaying suffering at all. It's not pray the suffering away. It's not prosperity gospel preacher. It's not, you will pray and do these certain things. Prayer plus anointing oil equals healing. It's, these things point towards a future that is coming. Our prayers are used to bring this kingdom near. Let's pray.